Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This week's episode of Under Consultation is brought to you in part by our wonderful Patreon backers over at patreon.com forward slash underconsolepod. We want to thank all of you who have backed us during these trying times and they're being rewarded by getting to hear next week's show a week early and ad free. If you want to join them, head on over to patreon.com forward slash underconsolepod. an episode-by-episode podcast guide through the UK's greatest video game challenge TV show, Games Master. I am one of your hosts, Luke Owen, the podcaster you give your worst enemy as a birthday present. And joining him on this venture, I am Ash Versus, serving up my tonic to the troops. Uh, this episode aired on the 22nd of October 1992, and our number one film at the box office is Husband and Wives. Before we go out to dinner, we want to tell you something. Oh, Jack and I are splitting up. Do, do me a favor, don't make a big deal out of it, okay? Because we're both fine. Are you we're okay. Serious? No, we are. We're fine. We're How fine. How can you get it, uh, you know, break up? It's insane. You're, you're Jack and Sally, you got two kids. So Jack never, never gave you an inkling, huh? No. How did you meet someone so fast? Well, I used to eat red meat every day, and then I gave it up, and then I had some again recently, and Look, I, I was can, totally bloated. We, I can't get my mind around this. This is what you leave Sally for? Going to keep this one fairly brief, I think. Yeah. Uh, 1992 Woody Allen movie, nominated for two Academy Awards. It is, like a lot of his films, kind of an awkward romantic comedy. It was filmed in a handheld style by Carlo De Palma. And and cost twenty million to make, but despite positive critical responses, only pulled in ten million at the box office. And for fairly obvious reasons, I think we're going to leave it at that. Yeah, I mean to be honest, I've got very little to say about this. But this is like you know, it's that Oscar season. I don't really have a lot to say about many of the films that we've got coming up until we get to Sister Act, and then all of a sudden the Christmas period kicks in and the fun starts. And kicking it at the top of the charts, it's a new entry. It's Tasman Archer with Sleeping Satellite. Yeah, Yorkshire Lass with a one-hit wonder. And this was a song where as soon as I heard the name, I remember this one. And not just because I've recently been listening to Now Volumes 21 <laughs> and 22. 
quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Unlike you, which is before we came on, Mike, I'd forgotten. We I talked about the song and I was like, oh man, I can't remember how it goes. Quickly went onto YouTube. Within a few seconds, I was like, oh yeah, it's that song. Good song, that. Same sort of instant as with Goodnight Girl, I think for both of us, which yeah. is as soon as you hear the opening, <laughs> brain kicks in, dormant memories come back, and that's how you find out you're a sleeper agent. <laughs> well, I'm going to be haunted by the Amiga cover of that song until the day I die, I think. <laughs> I'm just haunted by the song in any iteration. <laughs> but yeah, so Sleeping Satellite was her first big hit off her debut album. It didn't really topple Ebenezer Good off the charts because no. the only people that toppled Ebenezer Good off the charts was the shaman themselves yeah. who just went, this is still at number one. It's kind of screwing up our release pattern. Let's just like delete it from yeah. the catalogue. We'll which just pull it now. Yeah, rarely happens normally that only happens when somebody does something wrong or you know that a year or so down the line you've got an anniversary coming up and you want to do a remastered repackaged deluxe edition yeah or you're disney and you put videos in the vault <laughs> yeah exactly but it was released end of august 92 swiftly rose up the charts uh we got it for a couple of weeks mm. Yeah, yeah, we got it for a few weeks before uh, I think Boys to Men come in, but we'll get to that in a, in a couple of weeks' time. Yeah, it did slightly better in Ireland. It topped the charts there for four weeks. Wow. And also outside of the British Isles, it was uh, top of the charts in Greece, uh, top 10 hit in other European countries. And up to this moment in time, it's uh, Archer's only charting single in the US, and it peaked at number 32 on the Billboard Top 100, which is fairly respectable mm-hmm. for a British artist that isn't i guess a legacy artist at that point in time yeah with no foothold over in the u.s well it was released in 92 it was actually written in the 80s by archer and her co-writers and it was only when she got a record deal that she's like oh okay i've got some songs and this is a bit of a banger and it is it's a great song do you know what the song's about i do not it's about the apollo moon missions really yeah Hmm. this one surprised me uh the sleeping satellite is the moon and if I understand it correctly, it talks about how we raced to the moon and it was the space race and it was man's great achievement. And now here we are 20 years on. And what are we? Mm. What do we aspire to? Do we aspire to go to the moon or do we aspire to work at a McDonald's? Well, we've got some big games released this week. Uh, Batman Returns for the Game Gear. Adam's Family for the Super Nintendo. Um, Snatcher is released on the Turbo Graphics. <laughs> and um, I missed this one from last week Night Trap was released Night Trap yeah I've got this now on Steam they remastered it and the video looks good (laughs) but the game I know you and I are going to want to talk about because released in Japan it's released in North America and next week I believe it's Super Mario Land 2 the six golden coins this was a groundbreaking game because it gave us Wario. It actually gave Mario a nemesis that was not some dinosaur slash dragon slash whatever. It gave him an opponent that was his Moriarty because he was his equal. And then eventually it gave us Waluigi, who's just kind of creepy. (laughs) But it looks so good on the Game Boy and it really made you wonder what else was this platform capable of? This was a watershed moment and also the first mario game i completed because i didn't complete mario land that mario sprite is huge on screen it's so big but it's beautiful because it's 
the the jump from Mario Land One, where he is this tiny little sort of like black sprite in the corner, to this enormous, wonderfully cartoony Mario sprite in in Mario Land Two, and as you say, with the induction of Wario in there as well, you've got the crazy worlds. I love the one with the you go into the giant Mario statue and you sort of climb up the body. The woods is great. The haunted house is hard as balls, and then it really is. That, a that's a tough bug at that level. Also those star level when you get into space i love the music and everything but guiding yourself around all those stars is a pain in the ass uh one last thing i want to go over before we get into the magazine i'm not going to go into this in full detail because it's a bit too complex but we in this week in 1992 we got the settlement between accolade and sega who were in a court battle and had been sort of about a year or so because accolade reverse engineered the uh the mega drive so that they could falsely they could release their games without the license and this gave way to sega uh, as a way to counteract accolade reverse engineering it to release the mark 3 genesis which had the trademark security system which would trigger this response to know you're playing a licensed game produced by or under license from sega enterprises limited oh so that game this was the this week uh was where we got so uh, with the settlement fathers off the back of that came through wow um so yeah big big time in the uh, in the games world they actually i mean they would they would counter sue and counter sue and it would get wouldn't get resolved for a while but eventually they settled an accolade uh, made one of my favorite games for the uh, mega drive barclay shut up and jam i've never played it but i obviously know it's referring to charles barclay and not the bank <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah it's it's uh, an nba jam alike that's more violent because it's on the streets word yeah <laughs> it is uh well take us through what's happening in the magazines as we talked about last week one of the things Superplay brought was an upfront and in-your-face approach to import games not only did they cover a lot of games that would never even be really mentioned in the more multi-platform magazines they printed the charts they printed the official uk chart which was uh compiled by gallup they also had an import chart for the UK, which was compiled by Whiskid Games. Mm -hmm. They also had the official Japanese charts and the American charts. Oh, that's re... I'm very curious to hear then. So, okay, so this is issue one of Superplayer uh, still? Yes, this is the issue one. So we're in the right time frame. Oh, I'm so excited. I don't know what's on these charts, so lay it on me. Which one do you want to go for first? Well, let's do, let's do the UK chart for, for the moment. Okay, number 10. UN Squadron. Huh. It's a Capcom title. Yeah. Number nine, Super Soccer by Nintendo. Yeah. Owned it. Not very good. Number eight, another Capcom title, Final Fight. Yes. Love it. Doesn't have a two-player option, the SNES one, though, I don't think. No, and it's also only got two characters, which is why you later had Final Fight Guy. Yeah. Where it replaced Cody with Guy. Yeah. I don't have many fond memories of Final Fight on the SNES, but I have a lot of fond memories of Final Fight in the arcade. Oh, I thought you were going to say the GBA release, because I had a lot of memories playing the GBA release. I, I just have the memories of, I think we talked about it before, when the Mop Fair came to town once a year. Yeah. Final Fight was one of those big cabinets that always had people lining up with their 20Ps mm. to play. And also because the sprites were huge and it was colourful, and also like all the arcades in these, um, these kind of mobile lorries, of video game machines the volume was always turned up to ear bleeding distortion so it could compete with all the other arcade machines that were turned up to ear bleeding yeah. distortion 
Number seven, Nintendo, who really kind of dominate this chart, mm -hmm. Super Tennis. Yeah. Better good. than better than Super Soccer. Good game, that. Number six, Nintendo again, F-Zero. <gasps> oh, that's a great game. It is. But you can tell we're still in the aftermath of the launch for the Super Absolutely, Nintendo because yeah. a lot of these titles... Were launch releases. Launch yeah. releases. Number five, it's Konami, Super Castlevania 4. One of my favorite games of all time. Number four, Woomph, Adam's Family. <laughs> <laughs> it is time for the Adam's Family Wrap. It is indeed time for the Adam's Family Wrap. You can do it at home if you wish. <laughs> that was Ocean, because it was a movie tie-in, yeah. therefore ocean. it was Ocean. Number three, Lemmings. Huh. I'd forgotten that was really yeah. so close to launch. And to be honest, I'd forgotten it was on the Super Nintendo because for me, that was always a home computer That's game. A, yeah, I always associate with that with home computers. Number two, Acclaim with Super Smash TV. I remember playing a lot of Smash TV because it got released on Xbox 360s, like I think whatever, they, the arcade they call that. And they had a release of that. And I remember me and my friend being just sort of dumbfounded because one of the achievements they want you to get to completely 100% is get through the whole game without dying. That, my friends, is impossible. Yes, I would not I would not argue with that at all. But number one, it's a title I think we'll see in a couple of weeks' time. It's Super WWF <laughs> WrestleMania by LJN. Fantastic. We will see that in a couple of episodes, yeah. But what about on the import side of things? Yes. So titles being imported to the UK, and this also includes the region they're being imported from. So what's our big hitters? Well, number 10... It's UN Squadron. <laughs> Number nine, Super Ghouls and Ghosts, Capcom from the US. Nice. Number eight, Super Castlevania 4. I guess if you've already got an import machine, you're probably still going to be backfilling and yeah, trying yeah. to pick up some of the same titles. Also, this is the world of NTSC versus Power for Speed. And mm -hmm. if I'd had more money at the time, I'd have probably been going primarily for imports myself. Number seven, Legend of the Mystical Ninja. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah! That was Konami, and also the US. You could get the Japanese version, but it'd be bloody difficult to play. Mm -hmm. Number six, another game, normally the realm of the PC or the Amiga, Sim City. Yeah, well, I mean that was a big, big release for the Super Nintendo, as well. and it wasn't even just a straight port because Bowser appears yeah. in it, and and there's lots of little, very, very much Nintendo touches. I remember playing this. I remember borrowing this from a friend, and he had two games that he was allowed to lend out. One was this. And this shows how much later it was. Uh, Super FX Stunt Racing. Yes, yeah, yeah. And I'm glad I chose SimCity because stunt racing has not aged well, boys and girls. No. Number five, Krusty's Super Fun House. Which we had reviewed back in episode one of series two. Also from the US. Number four, Super Smash TV. Nice. There's a lot of parallels here. Yeah. Number three, Contra 3. <sighs> yes, Super Protector. I still kind of like Super Pro Protector, but that's also because I like mechs. Yeah. And so I was fine with the robots. I was like, oh, this is like um, Appleseed yeah. or similar. Number two, Zelda 3, A Link to the Past. Ooh. Big title. Big, big release coming soon. And number one, guess what number one is at this time? Mm, at this time. I don't know. Hit me with it. Street Fighter 2. Oh, of course it is. Of course it's Street Fighter 2, which we've had previously already on this series, and we're going to get a lot of in this series. Now, for the US chart, I'll kind of skimp over it because actually there's a lot in common with the UK import chart. 
few other different titles. PGA Golf Tours in there at seven. Final Fantasy II's in there at six. Super Mario World is in there at five, which to me implies that it wasn't a packing game in America, and I missed that. Mm. You'd have expected that to have been in the Gallup UK charts, but I don't think we saw Mario World standalone at this time. No, because I think the the SNES that I eventually got came with All Stars Plus World, which they managed to cram onto the same car. Yeah. That was a that was a bouncy boy of a car. Impressive. Uh, super play action football. I've no idea if that's the same as Super Soccer. I'm going to assume <laughs> it's not. And then F Zero, Zelda, Street Fighter. It's kind yeah. of same old, same old. The Japanese chart a little bit more interesting, and a game we're going to hear from in a little bit. Number 10, Turtles in Time. Oh, what a great game. Yes, we are going to get to that later in this episode. Number nine, King's Quest. Mm. Number eight, something called Light Fantasy. No, I don't know it either. Number seven, Prince of Persia. Now, we get this one turning up very, very soon. And while I love the version that we talk about, I prefer this version. Mm. And I actually played this game on three different platforms. I played it on the PC, the Game Boy, and the Super Nintendo. And if you ask me to pick one to play for fun and enjoyment, it'll be the Super Nintendo one. Mm. It looks gorgeous, it plays gorgeous, and it's just a great game. Number six, Aguri Suzuki F1 Super Driving. Driving. Driving, yes, indeed. Number five, Parodius. Ooh. Pop and Twinbee and <laughs> Little Squid. Mm-hmm. And also, that, that game's got some weird fan service in it. Have yeah. you ever played it? I don't think I've ever played oh, it. Oh, man. When when we get to a point where we can do stuff involving the Super Nintendo and playing games, I will show <laughs> you the world of Super Parodius because it's a weird game, my friend. It's a weird game. Number four, Mario Paint. Ah, uh, yeah. Mm. That's going to be a big old one because we it get will. The, the mouse with it and everything. Yeah, which will be useful on games like SimCity. Yeah, I think the first time I saw that was on Bad Influence. I think it's in the first episode of Bad Influence that you show you the mouse for Mario Paints. Maybe we'll drop in on Bad Influence at some point. Maybe. Who knows? Who knows? Mario Paint still has a cult following today, not for the painting aspect, but because of the music creation. It's a brilliant tool. Yeah, you've got access to the incredibly powerful sound chip of the SNES, lots of Nintendo samples, and people are just doing weird weird with that software yeah uh number three tecmo team soccer yep number two an impressive given how long it's been out street fighter 2 there's a big old title at the time there wasn't it so yeah i guess that makes sense but what could topple street fighter 2 off the top of those japanese charts Hmm. a final fantasy game no 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 it's a i'll I'll give you a clue it's a nintendo property Okay. Is it Legend of Zelda? No. no. What was the other big one there? Donkey oh, Donk Kong Country is a couple of years off, yeah. We've already had a preview of this. Oh, of course. So it's Mario Kart. Yes. Yeah, of course. Of course it's Mario Kart. Of course it's Mario Kart. I only had to do a brief driving yeah, motion did, to get yeah. it across. <laughs> Thicko over here was like Donkey Kong Country, even though that game doesn't come out for another couple of years. Well. I just want to say on the subject of magazines, I'm not saying we won't dip back to Superplay. But primarily, we are going to stay on multi-platform magazines because otherwise it becomes far too easy to fall down the rabbit hole of only wanting to pick your favorites. Yeah. So we'll still have CVG as other titles come along, including Games Master. We'll be picking those up where possible. In the interest of balance and fairness, we're going to cover the launch of Mean Machines Sega. So 
we've had a Super Nintendo based title that launched at this time and now we're going to see how the other side lived and we'll look and see what happened with Me Machines when they went platform exclusive. Thank you and welcome once more onto our special Games Master Holiday Camp. Now a lot of people ask me, Dominic, you keep mentioning Auntie Marisha and her special culinary expertise, but we never actually see her. Does she exist? Well, the reason is Auntie Marisha, it's very difficult to get her out of the kitchen, but today she has, and if you'd like to cast your eyes up there, we can actually see her. She's servicing some of the members of our audience, so if you can all... Uh... Well, let's dive into the episodes. We see the kids filing in in their hundreds as uh, Dominic Diamond talks about Auntie Marisha because... We've never actually seen Auntie Marisha. Does she even exist? Well, it's hard to get her out of the kitchen, but she's here tonight, folks. She's in the audience. She's up there servicing some of the members of the audience. <laughs> Holy sh! <laughs> <laughs> it's not the last we'll see of Auntie Marisha in this series, either. No, it's not the last of the questionable remarks that we'll have about her either. <laughs> but yeah, she's up there. And it's really funny because those gantries are quite narrow. And you can tell the entire audience is smooshed right <laughs> up against the back so she can get past with her tea trolley for the gag. Yeah. Well, let's get into our first challenge. So what are we playing, Games Master? Salutations. I invite you to don your thermal underwear for the evening's first foray on a frosty little number called Fire and Ice. The task is to guide cool coyote to the secret Arctic level in less than two minutes. But beware, you will not be able to exit the level unless you have collected a key, the last segment of which is being guarded by the resilient, abominable snowman. Do watch your footing on those slippery surfaces. Get your thermal underwear at the ready. We're playing Fire and Ice. Yeah, an Amiga game. Yep, you've got to get through the secret Arctic level in two minutes. You've also got to get the key and beat the end of level boss, the abominable snowman. But spoilers, we're not going to see that boss. So yeah, this was a renegade game from the, uh, the Home of the Bitmap Brothers. Uh, Amiga Mania named it Game of the Month in August 92, and Amiga Action gave it 91%. Technically, it has a lot in common with Zool. There's a lot of tricks that Zool used that were also used here to do with the kind of sunset style uh, backgrounds and effects but yeah it was very well received all 80s and 90 percent across the board it kind of almost got ports it did get one yeah it got a master system port which was released in brazil yes because it, it was that system was huge in brazil i think they're still making games for the master system the, yeah the uh, master system still exists in brazil uh even street fighter 2 yeah. exists for the master system in brazil that's how crazy that is uh, there were plans for a Mega Drive version and a Game Gear version. And if I remember correctly, on the Master System version, Cool Coyote clearly ate from the Forbidden Fruit because he develops modesty and starts wearing green overalls. Because otherwise, Cool Coyote was a blue creature that had kind of spiky fur. <laughs> and you can bet that they went, yeah, we're making this game for the Master System. And Sega were just sat there going, really? That's a, that's a nice mascot you've got there. Nice. Nice blue mascot. Mm -hmm. Nice blue mascot with spiky. Change the goddamn appearance. And they did. And guiding Cool Coyote through the chafing polar winds tonight, please welcome from Stratford, Cool Window Rye. <laughs> welcome, Cool Window. Now, I know you wanted to bring along your own joysticks, which you actually make. Do you want to talk us through a couple you of them? I was going to use this one, but because I was practicing so much, it's broken now. 
can hear it. It does. So I'm going to use this one. Okay. So how, how did you make that one? What your, that your one, favorite? It was, like, it was a joint venture between my dad, my uncle, and me. That was originally a lunchbox, which was cast in aluminium. That's from my dad's work, and that's from a fruit machine. Okay, this is the one you're up to for tonight. Do you feel yeah. confident for your challenge? Not really, but it's only a game. Well, uh, from Stratford playing this game, we've got Kalvinda Rye, who is a joystick maker by trade. Now, you had, what was his name? Uh, I've got Kalvinda Rye. See, weirdly, on my various sources, including the Games Master database, and I think um, the episode listing at tv.com or whatever it is. It was Cool Rinder. Cool Winder. Cool Winder, yes. Which I'm, I'm thinking, that's actually a great name. Yeah. Like that, that sounds, that sounds like a surfer. Because that's what I thought as well, because I did initially have, I had the same source that said it was Cool Winder. And then when I searched it, they, it all felt like they were pulling from this, like one source had put that and then everyone had copied them. But my, I thought it was, Google auto corrected me to Kulvinda, which is why I thought it might've been that, but I couldn't quite make it out. We also know from uh, our talk with Paul Gannon that Dominic's not always big on getting the names right. So it could have been Kulvinda, it could have been Cool Winder, it could have been Cooler Shaker. <laughs> it could have been any of these possible things, but you're right. He doesn't, just kind of create custom fight sticks, which to be honest, I've done nowadays. It's fairly easy to do because there's no soldering required even. He has a joystick, which is a metal lunchbox, a joystick itself from his dad's work, which looks more industrial than anything else, yep. and buttons from a food machine. It's pretty, it's pretty rad. It's pretty, it's pretty rad. It's also kind of weird to the point where I thought, did he go along for the audition and he came along and goes, I make my own joysticks. And they, they looked at him and went, you're on. Do you need me to play any games? No, mate, you're on. Because it's different. It's something that not a lot of people will have seen or even thought of. Making your own peripherals at that time was yeah. not, or customizing peripherals, apart from, you know, vandalizing a Game Boy. <laughs> a Game Boy comes into this world naked. Well, they do come into this world naked and begging. Um... No. <laughs> Tetris. Unfortunately, though, the joystick he wants to use is broken. You can actually hear it rattling <laughs> right, yeah. around. Yeah, it's proper broken. He's like, he, he, yeah. He dropped that down those stairs. <laughs> In one of those takes, he absolutely dropped it. Yeah. Oh, man, that must have been heartbreaking. Do you think they ever dropped the joystick? The golden joystick? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, because, again, referencing that Paul Gannon interview, he did say that they only really had one that they just used as sort of like the, the the everyone just passes this around and then your one will get sent to your home. What would they do if they dropped it? <laughs> they must have actually had more than one. They must have had one that they used and then two or three locked away in case that one did fall yeah. and break. Joystick itself is actually fairly durable, but the case, no. Mm. But thanks to uh, Rich, who got in touch with us via Twitter, we've now actually seen some up-close and personal footage of that era of Games Master Joystick. And yes, you can see the metal plating on the joystick. It's also kind of cool because I think this is the first time I've seen a really good look at what kind of plinth it's on. Mm. It's not a square plinth. It's kind of a sloped trapezium kind of side yeah. deal. But the case is not a molded case. It is five separate pieces that have been uh, kind of chemically welded together. And I know from experience that if you bang that too hard or drop it, it's going to shatter. It will explode and it will not be pretty. The joystick, you might be able to buff it out. I was going to say, from experience, I've uh, discovered that if you bang things too hard, they will shatter. Or um, explode. <laughs> <laughs> 
And guiding me through the chilly waste tonight is Games Master's very own Stephen Carsey. Welcome, Steve. Hello, Dominic. Now, Steve, any tips you can give Kowinda here? Well, as with so many Games Master challenges, it's all about speed. He's got to keep going, avoid all the obstacles, and keep a constant uh, supply of snowballs coming out. Games Master Steve Carsey is here to help Dominic Diamond through this chilly wasteland, telling uh, our gamer here that this is all about speed, which this gamer completely ignores. Steve Carsey is someone who we've seen in Series 1 in the review zone, and we thought he was just uh, a runner. Turns out he was you know, a big part of the production team and would be around for a long, long time with Games Master. Yeah, and he's pretty good on commentary as well. He's, he's really got good. a very natural on-screen presence, and clearly because he's involved behind the scenes, he has a natural rapport with Dominic Diamond, mm. and it comes across nicely, which is good because uh, poor Corinda, he, he biffs this challenge somewhat. Oh my God. I mean, there is the concept of having a hypothetical white whale and then there is a literal <laughs> white whale because within about 15 seconds of starting, you encounter a uh, rising falling platform challenge. Sometimes they're literal platforms, other times they're air jets, they're springs. In this case, it's a whale with a water spout. And I'm fairly certain I've seen this in other games. Mm -hmm. It was in Super Mario Land. Yes. On the Game Boy. And also, I think, Super Adventure Island as well. I mean, it's that kind of style of yeah. thing. It's a platformy trope. And this is where he loses his life, where he loses his time. And honestly, I'm not going to shit on him for this because it's the joystick. His backup joystick does not have the degree of control that he needs for this. You can see he's struggling with the timing on the jump. The jump is not responsive enough. And in times, it seems like the jump's actually stuck. And so I actually felt really bad for him. Yeah, it's 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 a very embarrassing challenge to watch at times. Not helped by the fact you've then got Dominic Diamond and Stephen Carsey pissing themselves at this lad, failing and failing and failing. To come out of this whale. There you can see it there. Oh, no, he hasn't oh. got idea. He's got to be careful he doesn't fall into this icy water here. Oh, oh no, Kawinda's lost one life already, and he's only been gone for 30 seconds. Not the best of starts for Kawinda. He's gone back to wait for this little whale again. He's having all sorts of problems here, Kawinda. He's got to watch this water. Oh, no. He's up again! Kawinda's lost two lives. He's not even started, Steve. I, I don't know what to say. No, I've completely lost for words, Dominic. Apart from retire. <laughs> and he's gonna, oh, no, he hasn't done it yet. Oh, no. Oh, Kawinda, my heart bleeds for you. Steve at one point says he's lost for words, and Dominic says he should just retire. Whoa. <laughs> he finally gets up from that whale with one minute to spare. Yeah. The one thing I will say in favor of the crowd, when he makes it past <laughs> that, the crowd are with him. They're like, yay! That's the cup final reaction. Exactly. They may have realized that this is as good as it's going to get on this challenge, but he does encounter a second one. And guess that straight away. Gets that straight the away. The timing is just with him on that one. Yeah. It's, it's funny though, because it's, this is a speed challenge, but he is not a speedy player. He very much takes his time. He will kill all of the enemies before he attempts to get past them. And you can almost hear Steve Carsey on commentary be like, just you know, a bit quicker. A bit quicker would be good. Can we pick up the pace a bit? Yeah, pick up the pace pick up a the bit. Pace. He's not playing it like it's a speed challenge. It's borderline not playing. <laughs> yeah. And he gets three bits of the key with 10 seconds to go, but loses his final life and therefore loses the challenge. I think you're right about the joystick, but he really struggled. 
window you were desperately unlucky with that but you didn't actually get as far as we'd hoped no it's a very hard level it's one of the secret levels and also you need two warps to get there and another thing that wasn't my best joystick it was my reserve joystick so taking all that into account i still done pretty good it was sad yeah it was a very very sad thing to watch i don't think he does himself any favors in the post-match interview though because he basically does a humble brag where he says, well, you know, it is a secret level. It's actually very hard to get to that secret level. You've got to get through two different warps in order to, to get to that level, to be able to practice it. Um, and he didn't get to use his preferred joystick. So with all that in mind, I think I did pretty well. I would rather have the humble brag than... <laughs> which we've had a number oh, of we've times. We've had a lot of, yeah. You either go humble brag or you go trigger happy. Yeah. That's the way, those are the two ways to go. But I don't think his performance and or his post-match interview certainly helped because Dominic Diamond tells us that Games Master was left unstirred and defers to Games Master for final judgment. Well, Kuwinda, unfortunately, Games Master was left unstirred by that. And I have to actually defer to him to see what's going to happen to you. So, Games Master... I'm sorry, but that simply wasn't good enough. It's a banishment to the pit, I'm afraid. Oh dear, Kowinda. This came out of nowhere. <laughs> I knew at some point that people started to be banished or sent to their doom. I don't remember it appearing at this point because this one caught me off guard. Yeah. And that's it. The diver appears, grabs him by the scruff of the neck, and as the audience rhythmically clap... It's kind of a more sinister golf clap, really. Yeah. He gets led off to the pit for, to his doom to become part of Auntie Marisha's latest cooking experiment, for all I know, or fed to the Kraken. They missed out. They should have had a Kraken in this. Yeah, well, knowing that, Dominic Diamond then said, while we mourn the sad end of Gwenda Joystick Maker's life, let's have some reviews. Skip to the end. <laughs> Gear yeah. change. Yeah. Do you know what? Not a great challenge. Nowhere near a great challenge. Kind of funny. But also, man, twist ending. That yeah. was an M. Night Shyamalan type <laughs> ending. I did not see that coming. We see dead people because he's no longer with us. Spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> this week, we throw the markers of Queensbury rules out of the window as we look at beat-em-ups. First up on the NES, free your hometown from the clutches of some odious broke or other in street gangs. It looks old. The graphics are pretty poor. The little men are sort of short, squat creatures that sort of maraud about. I'd rather sit in a vat of porcelain urine and play this game. Give it to you worse than it is a birthday present. With games such as Star Wars and Mega Man 3 on the NES, this really is no competition against them. So, in my opinion, stay well clear. Well, it's time to throw the Queensbury rules out the windows because it's beat-em-ups week this week and they're showing Street Fighter 2 to show they mean business. Which is awesome because do we see Street Fighter 2? No, no, no we don't. This week. Instead, we've got miserable Julian Rignall back once again. Now, we've both professed our love for the jazz man. We see him on Twitter. I've got a lot of respect for him. A lot of respect. But based on at least one of his statements... <laughs> In this review section, 1992 Jazz Rignall can f*** off. 
Uh, but he's, this is my Toe Jam and Earl moment. <laughs> this is where I threw expletives at the television when I was watching this. And we've also got Robert Dunleavy and Ryan Butt from Sega Pro. And their first game they're reviewing is Street Gangs for the NES, or as it's more commonly known, River City Ransom, which is a great game. However, these three people do not like this game whatsoever. Despite it being an already old game at this point, one, Street Gangs was not the best translation of it. It did get a later relocalization under the original title. But I think the gameplay was kind of ahead of its time because it was a bit more open world. It had some adventure tropes and it paired it with the admittedly basic Double Dragon fighting style. Yeah, it was uh, it was like an, a Double Dragon RPG. Yeah, it absolutely was. And as a result, nowadays... It's got more of a cult following. It's got virtual console releases. It's been part of various retro packs. I think it's even available on Nintendo Switch. I played the heckins out of it. When it came out on the virtual console on the Wii, I played that game a lot. I just picked up a NES Classic, and I'm not saying that I'm going to modify my NES Classic, <laughs> but I am, and this is going on it, because I want to play this. Yeah. Well, uh, Rignall says that it just looks old. Robert says he'd rather sit in horse poo than play it. Give it to your worst enemy as a birthday present. Uh, right, I do think that Ryan Butt's point here is more valid than the other two, which is when you've got Star Wars and Mega Man 3 on the NES, this isn't competition to those games. But I, I don't think they've been very fair on this, particularly when it gets our lowest score to date on this show, 32%. That is epically low. It's epically low, and of all the low scores we've had thus far, it's the one that, in retrospect, most bites them in the ass because, as we said, it's become a cult classic, and it's very highly regarded today as being a bit different and a bit groundbreaking. It was never going to look or sound the best. It was on the NES, and also at this point, it was at least two years old. I want to say it was a 1989 game. I think it was. You, yeah, it was. I've just looked at my notes. It was April 1989 when it was released in Japan. Yeah, it took them a long time to give it a localization. Next up on the Mega Drive, go head to head with the Iron pumping Yobos of Tomorrow in Fighting Masters. Fighting Masters is really poor man's Street Fighter 2, to be honest. Basically, it's more just smash the buttons and direct the joystick. The graphics are good, the sound's good, but there's nothing really to make it really gel together. Hang on to your money that a little bit longer and buy Streets of Rage 2. Well, up next, we've got Fighting Masters for the Mega Drive. Ah, uh, f*** oh. it. Yeah, I've written here. I've written here, what's this? A Street Fighter clone? And then, yeah, guess what Robert said? It's a poor man's Street Fighter 2. Slightly unfair because this was released in Japan only a few months after Street Fighter 2, almost to the point where I'm not sure it could be called a proper Street Fighter 2 ripoff. No, no, no. But I mean more in the sense of that Sega were looking for their Street Fighter 2. Hence game. why they probably brought it over exactly, because it's like we yeah. need this in the West. Because Street Fighter 2 was doing gangbuster numbers, mm. that Sega needed something to compete against it so they were just releasing all sorts of these beat-em-up games we're going to get eternal champions you know next year um just in that sort of desperation of trying to compete with street fighter 2 jazz rignall surprisingly forgiving he says the graphics are good the sound are good but there's nothing really to tie it all together and while i'm about to violently disagree <laughs> with him on the next game he's kind of right on this one yeah and Ryan says very wisely to just hold on to your money and wait for Streets of Rage 2. I mean, you could apply that to most games for the Mega Drive at this point. Unless it's Sonic, hold on to your pennies and wait for Streets of Rage 2. 
for a game that preceded or at least ran parallel to Street Fighter 2, it did have a fairly expansive roster because a lot of games all stuck to the six to maybe eight characters. Even Mortal Kombat, which is a little bit in the future, yeah. was seven. Seven characters, yeah. Whereas this one has 12 selectable characters in 1992. Now, they all play terribly <laughs> and the game's bad and it only uses two buttons. There's an attack and a jump and that's it. But still, I admire their attempt to provide a depth of roster in a post-apocalyptic wasteland. Uh, they give it 65%, but uh, Mega Magazine gave it 20%. Oof, they did not like it at all. Entertainment Weekly did, though. Yeah, if we're looking at the same source. Entertainment Weekly, that well-known bastion of video game journalism, gave it a B plus. Yeah. Well, there you go, kids. I reckon they literally judged that book by its cover. Or maybe they saw Fighting Masters and went, oh, I've played Street Fighter 2. B plus. There you go. Finally, they're lean, green, and hyped to the extreme on your Super NES screen. Turtles 4, Turtles in Time. These guys are tragically unhit. I mean, they're all rather pathetic these days, but the Turtles game itself is actually not too bad. Graphic design are both excellent, but you can get bored after a while, and it is very, very easy. I'd recommend this, but for young players only. Well, here it is. It's our final game, and what an absolute doozy it is. It's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 4, Turtles in Time for the Super Nintendo. And cue Big Apple 3AM now. Big Apple 3AM. So you can tell this is the import version because the title screen says Ninja Turtles. Um, the PAL version gets released in November uh, here in the UK. But Miserable Rignall is here to piss on everyone's chips when he says that the Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles are tragically unhip and rather pathetic, but the game's not too bad. I like how the man with a feathered mullet <laughs> is telling us what's tragically unhip. Full respect to Jazz Rignall. Groundbreaking journalist. Sure, he's a lovely guy. Possibly going through a bad period at this time. Maybe why he's so down and dour. Because he certainly seems happier in the magazines. Mm -hmm. But yeah. off with your view of the Ninja Turtles. <laughs> yeah. Really? <laughs> <laughs> it is hard because it, it is worth noting. So Turtles 2 had come out in 91. So we had a year prior with the Secret of the Use. It was the cartoony version of what the, the 1990s movie was. It made more money. It did make more money. Because and it, it was more like... It, well, it had vanilla rice. I, I wasn't as much of a fan of Secret of the Use because I felt it went too far in the other direction and also studios got involved too much. It's why Michelangelo uses sausages rather than nunchucks in the opening yeah. fight sequence. And it goes full on slapstick. There's some slapstick in the original. But it's tied together with this very serious tone, which was what the Mirage comics were, which is what Steve wanted to do with the original version of the movie. But it's, you know, the, the, the parents' television council, essentially, the, the parents, won't somebody think if the children got involved with all of these horrible weapons that kids could imitate so instead made put actual items you could get in a household into the turtles hands so they could use them as weapons like do you know what i can't get when i'm six years old a katana do you know what i can get sausages like i can use those as weapons or a frying pan exactly or... you thing is you say you're six you can't get a katana have you not seen the episode of south park where they get <laughs> yeah, the ninja weapons you're right also not only the Penn television council but let's be honest 
the merch guys, the guys that want to be able to slap this movie on every single lunchbox. Yeah. However, while this may have been on the turtles' decline, it does get worse after this with something also called yeah turtles in time yeah we get turtles 3 the following year and the the cartoon series have been on for five years at this point it was in reruns really so when when rignall is saying that they're tragically unhip and rather pathetic he's effectively saying the fad is over and i think you could possibly make the argument that at this point the fad did feel like it might be over or getting to the point where it was over begrudgingly i agree with you yes yes but looking back in time because this is my favorite turtles game it is i think there's an absolutely fantastic game me and my friend whenever we get together we we bust this out and we play through it and have a whale of a time because i absolutely love it and it looks great and it sounds great and while we've been talking you'll have been hearing one of my favorite bits of video game music from this era listen to that bass line it slaps it's amazing i've yet to see a human being playing that bass line properly yeah it's so good rightfully so the reviewers all say it's quite easy yeah 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 and recommend it for younger players i won't argue against that it is very easy the first time i got it i picked it up secondhand because clearly someone traded it in very soon after release and because it was the turtles secondhand it's price plummeted and i think i picked it up for 20 quid which 1992 to 93 was still hmm. a good amount of money, but it was also a lot cheaper than most games were new. I got home and I plugged it in and I played it all the way through. And I completed it in one sitting. Do you know what I did then? I hit start and I play it again because I don't need a game to last me a month or two months for me to enjoy it. I just want the game to be fun. Yeah, completely agree with you. I didn't play this game a lot when I was a kid. I played this more when I was in my teenage years and in my early 20s because I was a Mega Drive kid. So I instead had the Hyperstone Heist, which is effectively the same game, but not quite as good and features an awfully difficult boss rush that you've got to do halfway through the game, which can off. It is a much tougher game. It hits some limitations because via mode 7 and a bunch of other things the snares was better equipped for this game there's a lot of sprite based games with a mega drive one this was not one of them nope while it is an arcade port it's not a pure arcade port there's a couple of things it doesn't have one is the arcade had a piece of music called pizza power yes it did yes from the tour only play this if absolutely necessary oh i'm 100 playing it <laughs> it <laughs> but that was the attract music yeah obviously it didn't have four players which konami games the simpsons ninja turtles x-men all of those had the simultaneous four player while the super nintendo didn't have that they had an entire extra level set on the technodrome yeah which even post fad unhip it's still a lot of fun because the technodrome was what you remembered from the cartoon but it has one of those elevator sections as well, which is where you get the waves of enemies coming in. And, oh, I want to go and play this game now. Yeah. Because it's fun. And that's what I need games to be fun. 
if I remember, I'll link to it in the show notes because I did some interviews with the producer of the Turtles movies. I did the, uh, the, the three original movies that they did, going into detail about how they got made. And uh, particularly, I'm very proud of the interview I had with the director of the third movie, who explains why that third movie is the way that it is and it does not feature the characters that he wanted it to feature like Bebop and Rocksteady and the answer is basically Laird. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Apparently Laird was just like not having any bit, not using any of those characters. You've got to make up your own characters. Did he not see what happened in Ninja Turtles 2 with Tokar and Razor? <laughs> well, that was also because of him because he didn't want them using Bebop and Rocksteady in that either so they had to create new characters. While that does affect the characters that appeared in it, fair enough. I'm not sure the budget at that point would have stretched to Bebop and Rocksteady because the Turtles 1 suits still look good, especially if you watch the film with appropriate colour and tone settings so you don't see the guy's eyes looking <laughs> yeah. out from the back of Donatello's mouth like some nightmare vision. Turtles 2, they're mostly the same suit, so they've held up pretty well. The suits they use in Turtles 3 are Oof. not the work of Jim Henson. They are not. They, they're more the work of the Puppet Master. And it's appropriate to mention Puppet Master because this film looks like it was made on the budget of Puppet Master. This could be part of the Charles Band <laughs> yeah. full moon film canon. And I say that as someone that loves those movies, but I would never look at those movies and go, these are big budget productions. Anyway, back to Turtles in Time, the game. Because despite being a bit negative on it, they gave it a respectable score. Yeah, 80%. It's pretty good. Like the, the the score that it gets does not reflect the comments that are said in the review. The review makes it sound like it's not quite River City Ransom levels of negativity, but it doesn't make it sound like it's 80% levels of positivity. Bar the difficulty, I think their main criticism would be it's an old property. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. if you're reviewing a game for which gameplay is the key, that shouldn't be a factor. Yeah. And it clearly wasn't because I think I would not give this game a 90s. No. It's not long enough. I would give it a solid 88. Hmm. Yeah. I'd give it a DeLorean. That that would be that would be my bar for it. It would be a solid 88. Completely agree. Oh, shell shock. If you thought to yourself, wow, that was a lot of chat about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, but I think I'd like another two hours of it. Well, I recently guessed it on the Prince Charles Cinema's Pod Charles Cinecast with my good friend Jonathan Foster to talk about the 30th anniversary of the 1990 Turtles movie. You can find that show wherever you get your podcasts from. But if you thought that was probably too much Turtles chat, then yeah, don't download that episode. But still download the podcast. It's really good. Right, back to Wonder Consultation. Let's get shell! Now for this week's feature, all games begin as the merest of glints and eye of programmers. This week we look at System 3's putty from conception to completion with programmer messiah Phil Thornton. I went to India for an extended holiday in order to design a new type of game. Um, I wanted the game to be fluid rather than the usual old concept of a character with legs that runs and walks and jumps. I came up with the idea of silly putty. Basically I used to have a blob of it when I was a kid. To start with, uh, I sketched the silly putty in a, a a2 pad, start him off as a sphere, put the eyes on him, then do some movements for him on paper. Every single nasty begins life as a similarly humorous yet two-dimensional drawing. Step two involves bringing them all to life. The initial graphics are drawn on the Amiga itself and animated. Uh, you make up some sprite files, you make up some backgrounds to test. <laughs> 
Three involves piecing the levels together block by scrupulous block. The nasties are placed in strategic positions and the gameplay is tested to make sure Phil hasn't been too overambitious. Step forward, the sound. We bring in a musician, obviously composes a wacky theme tune, and we, we actually generate sampled effects for all of the characters. Step 5. Game graphics are pilfered for box illustrations and the game is up and kicking. So, how long does it take a grown man with facial hair to make one game? Silly pussy. Took about 16 months of hard work for a team of 7 people. Uh, we've got an interesting feature next about Silly Putty and Phil Thornton, who basically takes us through how video games get made. And apparently, they start with an extended sabbatical in India. <laughs> yeah. I should have gone into the games industry. It sounds like there's great opportunities for travel. Yeah. He said that he had some Silly Putty when he was a kid. He wanted to make a game that had a fluid character rather than one that runs around. Then he just takes you through the steps. There's sketching of the characters, taking you through the baddies like Biggles the Wasp, Terminator Carrot, Snot Goblin and Acid Drop. Snot Goblin is my favourite new wave of British metal band. <laughs> And then you build the levels block by block and put the nasties in. Literally, actually, it's nice to see some of the development tools that are being used on the Amiga, because I'll be blunt, if what they were showing us was an actual building tool and not just a graphics package, it's much more modular than I'd have expected. Like the actual placement of the tiles and the items and the enemies. And I, I looked at it going, oh, this is pretty nifty. I didn't think everything about this segment was great, but I appreciated that it did attempt to at least simplify the game development process to make it accessible and i'd argue it does a better job than the music section from a few weeks back yeah absolutely yeah and then he talks about musicians and coming in and making wacky tunes and sampled effects for all the different characters then you make the box art so how long does it take for a man with facial hair to make a game well silly putty took 16 months with a team of seven people how many of those seven people had facial hair? Well, yeah, I mean, they don't quite specify that. I know. I think it's important. I think they let us down at the last minute with that. Yes. I'd have argued he could have saved a fortune on that trip to India just by going to Woolworths because he'd have walked in, looked on the shelves and gone, ah, silly putty. When this feature was put on there, I was like, well, that's a very interesting feature. I wonder why this game of all games is getting so much attention. And then it's revealed why, because you could go to Games Master Live and play it there, including what I think was the SNES version, which wouldn't be released until Easter of 93. Wow. Yeah. That'd be quite a, quite a scoop. Well, all those reviews got the diver nice and wet, so pucker up for our next challenge, and it's a celebrity challenge. Let's find out what it is from the Games Master. I must confess to feeling a tad nostalgic as I introduce my next offering. As it reminds me of my days in the force many moons ago. The game was actually used to train pilots and involved landing a helicopter on a moving ship. A percentage is then awarded based on the speed, accuracy, and smoothness of your descent. Pip pip, carry ho, front away. Well, it's not a sports game, I'll give it that. No, and it doesn't really have a title either. Like, this is the official Navy helicopter flight sim. That's what we've called it in the title, but. I don't think it has a real name. I tried to do a bit of digging on this. I failed. And I'm sure the simple fact I've said that means that shortly we will get an at on Twitter <laughs> going, well, actually, and that's fine because I want to know where this came from. Because Completely. if I was to make a guess, one, this is on the Amiga. Yes. Two, it's using custom dual joystick controls. That is a custom built box, which looks to be holding 
actual helicopter-style joysticks and yokes. I'm going to go out on a limb and say this was made by Microprose or adapted from something made by Microprose because that was their jam. That was their thing. Absolutely, it is. And I think it being an official Navy uh, product, that makes a lot of sense that it's it's probably a bit hard to find some information on. Uh, Games Master says that it takes him back to his days in the force many, many moons ago. And Breaking the fourth wall there because yeah. Patrick Moore was indeed in the Air Force. And they point out that this game is used to train Navy pilots. Fun fact, we will revisit Patrick Moore's time serving hmm. down the line in a few years' time when Independence Day comes out. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, it all comes back. Now, our two airborne experts had a bit of practice on the rig's own helicopter earlier on, and now they're raring to go. We have a young lad from Kingsland taking on a professional pilot who just happens to be the most capped player and leading try scorer in English rugby history. So please welcome Matthew Freire and Rory Underwood. Now, Rory, you're more used to flying jets for the Air Force rather than helicopters for the Navy. How are you going to find this tonight? Um, different, but I've had a few goes on it and uh, hopefully I should be able to master it. OK, well, you scored many points for England, but you only get one try tonight. OK, Matthew, you're a bit of a whiz at these games. How, how do you fancy your chances? Yeah, I think I can beat it pretty easily. OK, then. Dominic says that our contestants practice by landing a helicopter on this rig, but they're now going to have to land the one in this game. And it is professional pilot who also happens to be the most capped player and leading try scorer in English rugby history, Rory Underwood. And he's going to be taking on Matthew. He's a bit of an overachiever, isn't he? Isn't he just? So yeah, he uh, he played for the strike command and main RAF rugby team while also being a flying officer for the 360 squadron and was then a lieutenant in 1995 while playing rugby for Leicester professionally and continued with the RAF until 99. It's been described as one of the greatest wingers of all time. So Jimmy, Sega should have had this dude as their mascot. <laughs> this is a legitimate dude. Yeah. He's the Dennis Waterman of sports and air force. He can fly the team. He can fly the team in a helicopter. Yeah, he says that he's more used to flying jets for the army rather than helicopters for the navy. But, um, you know, he, uh, he says he'll find a difference. Um, he's had a few goes. He thinks he might be able to master it. Dominic comments that while Roy may have scored many points for England, he only has one try tonight. Ah, uh, very good. No, it's not. That's no, good. Not. I'll give no. him that one. Uh, and Matthew is apparently a whiz at these sorts of games, so he is very, very confident. And boarding me amidships for this challenge is Vivian Deutsch from GameZone. Welcome, Vivian. Hi, Dominic. Okay, now this is quite a tough simulation, Vivian. Do you have any tips for our challengers? Apparently the way to go about this one is to come in low, follow the wake of the ship, and put her down gently. Okay, let's hope we can all learn a thing or two from that. We've got Vivian Nooch from GameZone in the booth. A woman. First woman in the commentary box. Took too bloody long to get here, to be Absolutely. honest. I was hoping that we'd see Jane Goldman in the commentary box before now, because we've already had a pop-up in the review zone. Yeah. And this is welcome. And she especially holds her own, which is very nice. Yeah, she's uh, really good. Especially given the, quite frankly, phallus-dominated entire ethos of Games Master. Yeah. Well, she says that you've got to come in low, follow the wake of the ship, and put her down gently. And Dominic responds by saying, well, we can all learn a thing or two from that. Easy now. <laughs> Calm down. <laughs> so Matthew is up first. Um, I don't really know how to describe this in an audio format, because it is 
a helicopter landing on a ship in the most realistic way possible, and he scores 61%. If you've ever played a flight simulator, yeah. Yeah. Or if you've ever played Pilot Wings, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's that. And he scores 61%. It's respectable enough. We only see the summary score, and I'm guessing it's because what the Navy actually brings up is probably a whole long list <laughs> yeah. of stats and probably contains classified information that they'd have had to like kill all the viewers of channel four just for seeing but no 61 percent respectable i think this is very much a case of what we were talking about back in series one that i'm not interested in flight sims and that's on me that's not on the flight sims themselves i was the same i yeah. want to like them i want yeah exactly but so watching this challenge it didn't appeal to me in any sort of way it didn't really appeal to me but i did appreciate that clearly this game took a lot of skill this game the simulator yeah took a lot of skill especially because the landing that matthew did Looked pretty good, mm. but only ranked 61%, which wouldn't be a passing mark in any armed forces kind of like qualification. If you'd like to see if proper pilot Rory Underwood can beat Matthew's mammoth score of 61%, join us after the break. When we launch a new Ford, you're in the driving seat. You demanded more power. We gave you a turbocharged engine, tough independent front suspension, high performance braking, and precision steering. And you demanded all this in a Ford big and powerful enough to deliver nearly two tons. The new generation transit. Obey me, Wario. I am your master. Mario is your enemy. The wicked imposter Wario has cast an evil spell over Mario Land. Don't let Mario get the six golden coins. Don't let Mario reach the palace. This is the biggest, most dangerous, most challenging Game Boy adventure yet. Obey Wario. Destroy Mario. Don't fall under <laughs> Wario's evil spell in Super Mario Land 2. Only on Game Boy. <laughs> One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 
This episode is brought to you in part by our wonderful Patreon backers over at patreon.com forward slash under console pod. And those lucky buggers have already heard this episode and have got next week's episode downloaded a week early and ad free, where we get more curly challenges, pilot wings, more features on hardware, and a celebrity Bomberman challenge featuring Take That. Head on over to patreon.com forward slash under console pod to get that episode and other bonus features. For delicious sweet and sour pork or chicken, simply add new Uncle Ben's sweet and sour sauce. Just look at those really crispy vegetables. You'll enjoy an exciting, mouth-watering meal in minutes. New Uncle Ben stir-fry. Perfect results every time. Vivian Nodes from GameZone beside me. We have just witnessed an amazing descent and launch from young Matthew Freire on an official Navy helicopter flight simulation. We've got Rory Underwood about to take his try. Rory, are you ready? I'm ready. Then off you go. So we've got Rory up next. Dominic Diamond is expecting big things from him. And this is a masterful display. This, this feels much smoother than when Matthew was doing it. That's because he's going like the clappers. He's landing this thing like it's a jet. And a number of times, warnings do pop up and there's an occasional little kind of flashing light somewhere on the HUD. And it's he brings it in and he lands it in about half the time that Matthew did. Yeah, but unfortunately, only scores 56% because his landing failed him basically basically he was too quick he acted more like he was playing rugby than flying a helicopter he just belted it up the outside if he'd been slower i think he'd have run a scrum all over matthew's score yeah but as it is no the kid won yeah the kid absolutely won and the crowd are going wild at this point dominic diamond's got to try and calm them down from that challenge thank you thank you very much okay okay let's quiet it down thank you now rory your flight path looked beautiful there you were coming in great and then just what happened at the end there um i basically rushed it i just uh, got the descent going on too fast and it, and it called me up a heavy landing so you lose 30% as soon as you do a heavy landing. Right, and they frown upon that in the Navy. Do they crush in the undercarriage? Yeah, it's a bit expensive. You're going to crush the undercarriage all the time, yeah. <laughs> okay, well, listen, Matthew, was it a problem for you at all? Uh, no, not really. No. <laughs> he puts Rory over, but says that he rushed it. His descent was too fast, and he had a heavy landing, which cost him 30%. Dominic Diamond says, yep, the Navy don't like you crushing the undercarriage. Rory does not rise to that. <laughs> he does not. Uh, and Matthew... Quite confidently, just goes, yeah, not a problem for me. He wins the greatest prize Channel 4 has to offer, the Countdown Teapot. <laughs> Wait, no, sorry. No, different show. Games Master Golden Joystick. Yeah. Wolvie isn't sent to the pit. <laughs> well, he's, he's still I was playing, waiting for it. He's still playing for England. Losing Rory at that point would have probably really biffed our chances because <laughs> we're only allowed like one good player at a time. Welcome to my consultation area up here on the helipad. How can I help you? Every time I reach the last boss, Dracula, on Castlevania 4, I always die. Is there any way of improving my chances? There is indeed, so watch and learn. There's a secret supply of power-ups just before Dracula's inner sanctum. These will replenish your energy and increase your whip strength. Make a leap of faith into the space beneath the staircase. Keep walking left and you will drop to another platform where a cascade of essential power-ups awaits. 
Then return via the invisible staircase, pressing up and right on the joypad, and we leap back to safety. Thank you, that's great. Right, well, our first kid in the consultation zone has got a question about an absolute belter that we talked about earlier on in this episode, Super Castlevania 4, where he's essentially looking for ways to beat Dracula at the end of the game. So Games Master gives him this excellent, excellent secret area. Just before you go up the staircase, you take a leap of faith, walk over to the edge, and you get replenished with uh, the maximum of 99 hearts, whip upgrades, and power boosters, and you just got to walk back up the staircase to safety. What can we say about Super Castlevania 4? I can say it's my second favorite Castlevania game. What's your first? Symphony of the oh, Night. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah, of course. Because it had the gameplay of this and just a little bit more. Yeah. A little bit of extra flavor. Yeah. This one, though, was developed by a very small team to the point where everyone in the team was involved in the creative process, not just the artistic directors, but the programmers. They all had input, and it made a game that just feels so connected to itself it everything feels right it's not an easy game no like the power-ups this kid is after and gets before the the fight with the big d you need those because he's a tough bastard to beat you need the chain whip you need all the pots you need every little bit of help you can get yeah if you can beat this guy without all those power-ups you're, you're a better gamer than I am, and I will happily say that. This is where you tell me you've done it. No, I mean, <laughs> Castlevania 4 is one of the few Castlevania games that I have, you know, finished, you know, quite competently finished. I, I do really, really love it. It's my personal favorite Castlevania game because I, I like the simplicity of it. While I you very much appreciate Symphony of the Night is a far and away better game, I will always play this over playing Symphony of the Night just for its simplicity. I, 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 why I love the original Castlevania as well and Castlevania 3. Um, but I love the music. And, you know, say what you will about him, but Angry Video Game Nerd had a brilliant Castlevania retrospective. This About 10 years ago, he did this. He had like a four-part series where he did all the NES games, then did this, and did uh, Symphony Night and the N64 games. And it is his episode that he did on Castlevania 4 is brilliant because he talks about how wonderfully atmospheric it is. And it really sucks you into the game and really makes you feel like you are part of this castle. And that is all down to, as you say, the artistic direction. The music is fantastic. I've heard there's a wall for level one, three on Psychoflops. Where is it? Where is it, um, please, would perhaps be in order. Some people's manners, I don't know. At the end of the level, jump on the springs. <laughs> When you reach the highest one, release the crow, which will make a hole in the background. Do this three times, and a warp door will open up. Leap into the gap, walk as far as the first pot, jump on it, pull down, and you'll be warped to world four. Our second kid wants to know where the hidden warp is on Psycho Fox. Well, I want to, I'll give you the direct quote. I've heard there's a warp on level 1-3 of Psycho Fox. Where is it? Yeah, Games Master does not take kindly to this. Oh, he is He's, not. He gives lectures on manners. Like, where's please? Please doesn't cost anything. 
I was I, this kid could have ended up in the pit. <laughs> Should have done. But basically, what you do is at the end of the level, jump up on the springs all the way up, and then throw the crow to damage the background, which is a really cool effect. Actually, I really like it. I did have to rewind slightly. Going, did he say throw the crow? Yes, he did. He said throw the crow. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Do that three times, and that will open up this sort of like warp in the background, which will take you through to World Four One. Psycho Fox, we talked about in the episode ten of Series One because it was that decap attack, uh, kid cool sort of world of mechanics that have just been reskinned and remade. Mm. On level twelve, Prince of Persia on the Game Boy, how do I get past the mirror image of myself? This doesn't reflect well on your game playing ability. Approach your mirror image. And as soon as you draw your sword, resheat it and walk on. Simple when you know how, isn't it? Yes, it is. Thanks. And our final child is stuck on level 12 of Prince of Persia for the Game Boy against the mirror image. Huh, this doesn't reflect well on your playing ability. Ha ha, Games Master, I see what you did there. Yes. Reflect. Reflect, yeah. 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 Mm. <laughs> uh, you got to take out your sword uh, and because it's a mirror image and you unsheath that sword and that will make you the mirror image walk towards you and away you go. Simple yeah. when you know how. Yeah, basically, if you've got it whipped out, tuck it away, problem solved. Right, well, it's time for our final challenge, but once again, we're not going to Chrome Dome because it's the second Curly Challenge. Last week's Sega European champion, Danny, made an open call to any challenges on any Sega game. He excelled at Sonic, but what are we playing this week? Okay, thank you. So what's your name? Warren. Warren, and where are you from, Warren? Wembley. Okay, so you've seen Curly in action before. How do you fancy your chances against him? I think him? I can do it. Okay, what's the challenge tonight? It's one period on Mario Lemieux Hockey. One period on Mario Lemieux Hockey. How do you fancy that one, Curly? I've never even heard of it. Never mind played um, it. I think it's an obscure classic, Danny. We've got Mario Lemieux Hockey. It's an ice hockey game. It's an ice hockey game. We've got Warren from Wembley being picked out from the crowd, and... Dominic Diamond calls this an obscure classic because Danny says, I've never even heard of it. In fairness, at this point in time, EA had already won the ice hockey war to the point where there wasn't even a war. There was just a slapdown and EA was where it was at. EA uh, went for more of a kind of vertical playing field. This was more of the traditional horizontal perspective of the pitch. It's not a bad game no it's just a game yes it has everything you need from an ice hockey game ice players hockey. goals fighting it's got fighting mini games yeah very important in an ice hockey game unlike ea this one actually has the fighting mini game directly accessible from the menu <laughs> which i liked as a touch i did kind of dig that and joining me in the sin bin tonight is Sega Pro's very own Dave Bad Boy Perry. Now, Dave, I know you've been known to slap a puck about for real. Now, how do these games compare to the real thing? Well, obviously, they're not as fast or as violent as the real thing. And if Danny hasn't played this game very much, then I think he might just caught, get caught out tonight. Well, here is a big bit of news for the Games Master World and under consultation. Dave Perry is in his final form. <laughs> No, he's not. Oh, 
Shell shock. He's wearing the bandana now. But he's not wearing the leather jacket. All okay. oh, right, I didn't think we were counting that because he's and he's also called... not the animal because he's well, he's called Bad Boy Dave Perry here. Yeah, which he laughs at. He's yeah. just like, yeah, all right. This feels like we are really now in games animal territory. This this is the final stages. This is this is so close. <laughs> Spoilers: We don't quite get there next week either, but we're getting close to where we will get the full animal. Well, Dave Perry is a hockey player himself. He's been known to knock a puck about for real. Um, and he points out that this isn't as fast or as violent as the real sport. Um, but, you know, he thinks Danny might get caught out tonight. If Danny was playing it cool, he'd have gone, it's not my best game, but I know the sport. As opposed to what he did say, which, as you said, is I've never even heard of it. Yeah. He looks genuinely unnerved at that point. Yeah. Because I think he realizes, ooh. If they're picking games I've never really played before, even if we take that there was a gentleman's agreement that the game was chosen and, and he'd maybe played it a few times earlier that day, it's still not going to be one he's super familiar with. It's not going to be as daft as challenging him to Sonic. No, exactly. Like Sonic, he can just, you know, speed through yeah, without so, any say, challenge. Saying you chose a slightly later level is not going to throw <laughs> this guy off. <laughs> Um, but Danny scores right away and there's a shot of the crowd with this kid who has almost like his head in his hands. He cannot believe this man who's never even heard of this game is currently leading. If he's played NHL, which he probably has, all he has to do is take his gaming tactics and turn them 90 degrees. <laughs> yeah. Because he doesn't just score. He scores a pretty freaking sweet goal. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he worked that keep around. And it, to be fair, it is all curly. Like Dominic Diamond said that Warren was the pre-match favorite, but Curly is showing him up a little bit here. And then the fight breaks out, as you said, and we get this wonderful shot of Danny and Warren playing this game, just chuckling to themselves as they get into this fight. As like two mates just enjoying playing this silly little game. We get that on some of the celebrity challenges, but when it's two kids playing against each other, it doesn't happen so much. But yeah, they're having fun. They're they're talking a little bit of smack to each other. They're probably exchanging cake recipes. It's all going good. Yep. But Danny is wiping the ice with this guy. He really is. He's running over him like a Zamboni. It's not going well. It's pucking slaughter. <laughs> it is. Uh, Warren equalizes. And just as the buzzer goes, Danny scores again. But the time has run out. And they just sort of end it with like... Well, it was a draw, so Danny remains undefeated in a way. Okay, thank you, thank you. Well, Warren, commiserations there. The challenge was to beat Curly. You got an honourable draw, which is better than anyone else did. So talk us through, what, how, how do you think you failed to get that elusive victory? I managed to get one back, but just couldn't get it past their goalie, so... Okay, now Danny, still undefeated. Is there anyone out there who can beat you? Well, Warren nearly did. It was close match, and he deserves credit for it. No, no, that's not in a way. If the challenge is beat Danny Curley, a draw is not a victory. No, and I, and I, I get that. It's, to, it's, to use wrestling parlance, yeah, yeah, yeah. you don't change titles with a time limit draw. No, I and unless I it's wonky Russo booking. I completely, <laughs> I completely agree with you, and I completely get it. It's, and this is where I think that you and I might agree with on this. You don't do this as the second one. Like the curly challenge, you almost want to build to this moment. So you almost want like like the undefeated Danny to have like a string of three undefeated matches on the bounce. And then you have the draw where you're like, oh, wow, someone really did come close. 
before you go on to uh, what we get in, the, in next week's challenge. There's a couple of possible ways this could have played out. I think we've discussed these off air as well. Mm. One is that Danny wasn't really comfortable. He doesn't always look at it. He doesn't look at no. Two is they could have gamed it. They could have gone to Sonic. They could have maybe brought Road Rash back. They could have played to the strengths of the games that Danny would know. Maybe throw in some Master System stuff for just a little bit of a diversity and then built up to suddenly people going, oh, maybe we need to pick games he won't have played and that works towards this. Yeah. But spoilers, this peaks very quickly. And yeah, it's a bit sad because the actual ending in the draw is exciting because it's it's a sign of weakness. It's a sign that he can be beaten. Maybe what they should have done is actually had a couple of challenges with Danny Curley, then had this, then had him asserting dominance, and then led to the defeat. And the thing is, they could have done it because, of course, they didn't have to shoot it in order. They could have had him lose, mm -hmm. spoilers, and then still filmed another three or four where he won. And as long as they didn't have the same audience in to cause confusion, they could have then chopped and changed and edited it. But for whatever reason, they didn't. But one thing I will say is of all the sporting challenges we've had, this is one of the ones that I think has translated the best to the screen because it was pretty gripping. Even when Danny was running all over the, the rink, it was exciting to watch. It was fast moving. It was fluid because ice hockey, they're on skates. Yeah. But I thought that pacing aside, but I thought aside from the position of where this comes in the curly challenge and what it leads towards, I thought the challenge as a standalone was a cracking little bit of television. Yeah, and it was. And it's. I, I think part of my issue I have with the curly challenge is that this, you'd almost think that this would be designed to show off the Mega Drive and be like, let's pick out some of the best games that this console has to offer. And instead what we get is this obscure hockey game that not many people know of or have heard of it's a smart move and i do like that you know warren picked this game because he won't have known it and that's how he's going to try and catch him out. And i like that as a tactic and that's a fun story thing but it also it's not showing off like there are a hundred mega drive games you could have picked before this that really would have been like oh wow this mega drive is a very cool console with all these cool games this doesn't feel like the best the mega drive has to offer no i wouldn't argue that it doesn't make the console look great no particularly with the super nintendo out at the moment yeah yeah yeah, Dominic Diamond reiterates that the challenge was to beat Danny Curley, as you said. So he couldn't get past his goalie. Warren nearly beat him. He does deserve credit. And Dominic Diamond bigs everyone up. That is actually quite a nice little ending. Warren doesn't end up in the pit. I know that pit thing comes back. But wow, it felt kind of weird in this one. And suddenly everything got very grim very quickly. Join us next week when Take That will be here. Andy Marich is warming up for that with a little Sprat Thermidor with rice pilaf. So I'm off for a nibble and I'll see you next week. Good night. But forget about all that because next week, take that are going to be here. Uh, so let's go and have some Sprat Thermidor with rice pilaf. Uh, we'll have a nibble on that and we'll see you in seven days. So we'll share the rice. <laughs> yeah, once again. And we'll leave the Sprat to the fishes. Yeah. So yeah, that was episode four of series two. We are just coming off the back of two absolute belting episodes. So this one had a lot to live up to. What were your thoughts? It was an unbalanced episode. 
none of the challenges were explicitly bad in concept. Mm-hmm. Fire and Ice was just unfortunate. Not going to dunk on the kid. It was just unfortunate. The Celebrity Challenge was interesting. It wasn't amazing to watch, but it was interesting and also kind of cool to see that even at that point, computer simulations were being properly used in training and not in a here is a massive cockpit replica, the sort of thing that we normally saw on Tomorrow's World Yeah, at that point, that kind of stuff. But on an Amiga, hmm. a very powerful and potent little machine at that point still. And then we had the Curly Challenge, which we've just talked about in great detail. Consultation Zone was fun. Good nice games to, in there. Yeah, nice to see some games I recognised. The Review Zone was okay. One game out of three was found to be good by the reviewers. Yeah. River City, oh, see, yeah, 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 River yeah, City yeah. Ransom, yes, is good in retrospect, but it wasn't a review zone that left you walking away going, oh man, I don't know where to spend my money mm-hmm. other than on Streets of Rage 2. Or Silly Putty, again, a fun little feature. That was a fun little feature, yeah. But it didn't hang together. Yeah, no, I'm in agreement with you there. The, the, the Fire and Ice challenge, I think, could have been really good had he had a controller that's worked better for him because i think him having a his backup joystick really hampered him on that challenge which just made it a bit sad to watch at times the celebrity challenge you nailed you hit the nail on the head it was interesting because of the game that you know it's not even a game the simulation that they were playing but it wasn't the most entertaining bit of television also, why did they keep highlighting enemy helicopters when they did jack all? Well, that's it. Yeah, because it's not really, it wasn't really about that. It was just, you know, landing a helicopter, which it's, from a technical standpoint, it's amazing. You've mentioned sort of like how-to there. Like this feels so how-to in tomorrow's world, but it doesn't really feel like Games Master. And then you get to the Curly Challenge, which I've got my issues with, which I appreciate are my issues. And I, I don't think I'm going to have a lot of people in the same agreement with me. So... I don't think it was a fully balanced episode, particularly coming off how good the previous two episodes that we've had. Do you know what it felt like? Scraps. Yeah. yeah. They cherry-picked challenges. They didn't necessarily film everything in sequence, and there was always going to be episodes that were weaker. And this was one of them. I don't think it was a bad episode. I don't think it was the worst episode we've had, not by a long shot. And yes, we get the nine-tenths Dave animal. (laughs) Nine-tenths. Sorry, the eight-tenths games animal because he's still missing the jacket and the name. Yeah. Um, So score-wise, I was just looking at our previous scores now because I've got them written down so I can do this sort of thing. We've got a graph. We've got a graph and everything. I gave episode one 75% and I do think this was better than episode one because it doesn't waste three minutes on a joke. But I'm going to go at 78 we are very close, and I don't think you saw my score on my iPad because I went with 77%. Ooh, well, who saw that coming? Yeah, I think we're in agreement. It's not a bad episode. It's just not a good episode. It's just It just is. This is a game you would borrow for a night. This isn't necessarily even a second-hand purchase unless it was unboxed and in the bargain bin. It, it's got some merits, but overall, it's got nothing that makes it stand out. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Under Consultation. Thank you all so much for listening. If you are on iTunes, give us a little subscribe. Give us a rating and review. It helps us climb up in those charts. Give us a follow on Spotify. Uh, You can follow me on Twitter at ThisIsLukeOwen. 
You can follow me on Twitter as at Ash Versus. Also find me on Instagram under the same name. Yeah. Speaking of Instagram, we're on there now at under.console and we're on Twitter at underconsolepod. Indeed. Or you can email us directly, feedback at underconsultation.com. Yeah, get in touch. Or you can even call us. Yes, you can call us and leave us a voicemail. I know we originally put this out for the end of season one wrap up, but you know what? If you've got thoughts you want to leave for us anytime, you can call us on 0203 290 Leave a voicemail. Maybe you'll make it onto a future episode. Who knows? Who knows? So thank you all so much for listening. We're going to go share some rice now. And as you say, give the Sprat Thermidor back to the fish from where it came. And we'll see you again in seven days time. Take care. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.